listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. We will get to our episode in a moment, but first, Paula and I appreciate all of the continued support out there. We have over a million downloads, and we want to keep growing. If you could leave a positive rating on our podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. Also, tell a friend or family member about our show. Now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. Let's dig up a new mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us, as always, is our award-winning journalist who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories with the Akron Beacon Journal, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. Melanie Doyle died of uterine cancer. That's a fact. Ashtabula County authorities do not consider her a homicide victim, but her family does. That's because when Melanie died, She had already been in a coma for three years, the victim of a vicious assault in 1996. They can't help but wonder if she had been healthy, alert, active. Could she have beaten the cancer that ended her life? Someone took away her will, her ability to fight, a reason to seek treatment. The someone who did that has never been caught. The Ashtabula Star Beacon recently spoke to her family and reminded its readers of this 23-year-old mystery. Thanks to a suggestion by an Ohio Mysteries listener, Julie, we will do the same and our part to make sure Melanie isn't forgotten. Melanie was born to Georgia and Melbourne Doyle, lifelong residents of Ashtabula in Northeast Ohio. They had three sons, Timothy, John, and Chuck, and Melanie, their only girl. She was raised in a house that liked country and Irish music and rooted for Notre Dame football. By 1996, at the age of 43, Melanie hadn't fallen far from the family tree. She was still living and working in Ashtabula as a clerk at S&B Floor Covering on Main Avenue. November 15th of that year, was the day that Melanie's life, for all intents and purposes, ended. It was in the middle of the afternoon, about 4.15 p.m., when someone entered the business. Melanie was alone, sitting at the front desk. She was struck in the back of the head with a blunt object. Police have never found the weapon that was used, but suspect it could have been a hammer. A customer found Melanie slumped over the desk. He ran to his car and drove to the police station to report the crime. Detectives found Melanie alive but unresponsive. As she was taken to the hospital, investigators combed the crime scene. Nothing was reported missing except Melanie's purse. It was found later on the city's west side in a field across from Bonnie Wood Estates off Wade Avenue. The Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation was brought in to look over the crime scene, process the evidence, and give local police the freedom to follow every lead. One thing they tried to settle on right off the bat was whether the attack on Melanie had been part of a robbery spree that day. Just one hour before she was assaulted, two other neighboring businesses had been robbed, a place on West 38th Street 
and at New Century Foods on Main Avenue, just north of S&B floor covering. In the West 38th Street robbery, police rounded up three people for questioning and ended up charging two of them with aggravated robbery. That's a charge that meant some sort of weapon or force was used. But those suspects were not tied to the other two crimes that occurred that day. In the New Century Foods robbery, no suspect was identified, but there was a question of whether it could have been related. No weapon was used. The thief merely grabbed a bag of change from the clerk. Could the person who did that be the same hammer-wielding assailant in Melanie's case? The thing is, police do have a person of interest in Melanie's assault. After the New Foods robbery, a witness saw a man enter an apartment above SMB flooring where Melanie worked. Witnesses also said they saw the same man in the store right around 4 p.m. That was about 15 minutes before she was found. The suspect was a white male in his 20s with a medium build and about 5 foot 5, weighing 125 to 150 pounds. He had short, dark hair, brown or black. After the person who found Melanie reported it to the police, Ray Matson was the first officer on the scene. Ray told the Star Beacon he recalled driving past the business on his way to the police station and saw a man walking south on Main Avenue. That man rushed up to his car and told him a woman at the flooring business had been shot. Ray thinks that man could have been the assailant. As a matter of fact, detectives eventually became convinced it was him and were confident they could make their point in court. But the grand jury disagreed. They wouldn't charge him. There just wasn't enough evidence to connect the dots. Ray Matson is still disappointed in that decision. He said, the system let her down and this guy walks. Over the years, detectives have pulled Melanie's file from time to time and have represented it to the prosecutor's office, but it's always been turned down for the same reason, lack of evidence. Today, detectives are confident somebody knows something that can crack this case. Chuck Doyle is pleading for them to come forward, Melanie was his only sister. He can barely talk about her without breaking down. He told a Star Beacon reporter he could never forget the moment he got the call about his sister. A detective phoned him at work, told him his sister had been gravely injured and that he needed to get to the hospital. At the hospital, medical staff told him her skull had exploded from the force that was applied. At Metro Health Medical Center in Cleveland, Melanie underwent a three-hour surgery, but she never regained consciousness. For the next three years, she remained comatose, her family unwilling to give up hope that she would recover. In 1999, while still in a coma and connected to a feeding tube in a nursing home, Melanie got uterine cancer. Because she was brain dead, 
Chuck Doyle said doctors told him there was nothing they could do. She was never treated for the condition, and her family finally agreed to take her off life support. She may have beaten her cancer if she wasn't in a coma, Doyle said. Officially, however, Melanie's case is one of felonious assault, not homicide. Chuck Doyle said it would be easier to cope with his sister's death if her assailant was punished. There's no closure for us until then, he said. It was senseless murder for a little pocket change. Melanie's niece, Angela Doyle, said it's unbelievable to her that the person responsible never faced justice. Somehow, she said, the perpetrator is still walking the streets of Ashtabula and enjoying his life, something he robbed her of. She was a wonderful person and an even better aunt. She deserved so much more than losing her life to a monster. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to ohiomysteries.com. Also, for more shows like ours, head on over to KillerPodcasts.com. We are a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read.